One summer night during a severe thunderstorm, there was a mother tucking her small son into bed and she was about to turn off the light when the little boy with a trembling voice said, Mommy, can you stay here with me all night? I'm really scared. Mother, she smiled and she gave him a reassuring hug and she tenderly said, I can't, honey. I have to sleep in daddy's room. And after a short bit of silence, the little boy replied, that big sissy. What does that have to do with my sermon? I have no idea. It was just a great joke I heard today. No, no. I think we all know what it's like to experience fear. And and like this little boy, sometimes our fears are minor. We shake it off with a few confident and comforting words. Sometimes our fear can be so overwhelming that it steals our sleep at night and it robs us of our joy during the daytime hours. Other times it can become so intense that it literally threatens to overwhelm us. But no matter how insignificant or how insurmountable and overwhelming fear may be, one thing is for certain, fear is a universal thing. And you will experience fearful moments in your life. It doesn't matter who you are, where you live, what you do, what your age is. We all wrestle with fear and we all know from personal experience how horrible fear can be. One dictionary defines fear as a sudden attack, anxiety, or agitation caused by the presence or nearness of danger, evil, or pain. It goes on to say fear covers a wide range of emotions, timidity, apprehension, terror, and dread. But the truth is none of us need a dictionary to tell us what fear is because each one of us has experienced it personally. In fact, I wanna do a, a quick survey, if you don't mind, to highlight this fact. Raise your hand if any of the following applies to you. Anyone here ever had fears related to money? Anyone here ever had fears or been afraid uh, that you would be turned down for a job? (laughs) Ever had any health-related fears about yourself or a loved one? Ever had fears and worries about a relationship, about the person you were dating, about your marriage, or fear that you'd never get married? You ever suffered from such an intense Fear of loneliness that you kept a radio or a television playing behind the scenes all the time? Have you ever had a task that was so big at work that you felt if you didn't accomplish it, you'd probably get fired? You feared that? Have you ever had fears about your children or the friends that they hang around with? Have you ever been afraid of the day your kid would grow up and leave home? Or conversely, afraid that they would, never, they would grow up and never leave home? <laughs> Don't put your hands up, your kids are watching you, your adult children. And here's one more, how many of you didn't raise your hand because you were afraid to admit that you have fear? All the guys are sitting there like this. Kind of like on the men's ministry announcement, yeah. Pastor Fear up there, I got no fear. I'm kind of being rough on the guys today, aren't I? It's because we deserve it, men, right? Well, now that we've established that that fear is a problem that we all face, let's talk about where we turn when it comes to a solution. 
How can we have peace amidst the inevitable fearful times of life? Well, I might suggest that we go back to our study in the book of Acts because the central figure in the last few chapters is about the apostle Paul. And if there was ever a human being who endured countless anxiety-causing experiences, it was surely Paul. I mean, it would be an understatement for us to say that Paul was well acquainted with fearful times. Listen to his own description of his life written in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. Paul writes, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have constant, I am constantly been on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I think that it is pretty clear here the Apostle Paul understood what fear was. I mean, there was no way to face everything that this man had to face when fear was not a part of it because those things go hand in hand. Well, beginning in Acts chapter 18, we're going to see Paul enduring another particularly fearful time. So take your Bibles and follow along because we're going to be skimming through some verses and I think you'll see what I mean. As we begin in Acts 18, Paul has moved on to Corinth. He just left Athens that we talked about last week after having experienced less than exciting results from his bold witness in the city. Uh, and, it, and his witness was climaxed by his famous sermon on Mars Hill. But in spite of his powerful message, most of the hearers wanted to hear nothing more from the Apostle Paul. And it is interesting that we never read or hear of a church being started in Athens due to Paul's work. So I'm sure that Paul had to have been discouraged when he arrived in Corinth, but once he got settled, Unfortunately, the discouragement continues. He followed his normal ministry pattern and he went to the Jews with the news of Jesus, but they closed the door in his face. In fact, they attacked him in court. In essence, in essence they were suing him for, to stop his teaching. But I love how the Lord encourages him this time in Acts 18, verse nine and 10. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. Well, according to the scriptures, Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half until he eventually moved on to Ephesus. But the Jews there followed suit, and they maligned Paul's missionary work as well, and on top of that, a man named Demetrius, a local silversmith, organized a mob against Paul. 
He was angered because this growing movement of Christianity was hurting his business of making and selling silver idols of the goddess Artemis. The Jews there even plotted to attack Paul at sea by planning to intercept his ship and to kill him and to throw his body overboard. But once Paul caught wind of these details, he changed his travel plans accordingly. So he heads to Jerusalem, and when Paul arrives, man, this guy can't get a break. He is severely beaten. In fact, the violence of the mob was so great that the Roman soldiers had to intervene. They had to literally carry Paul, lifting him up above their heads. They did this to keep him out of reach of the hands of the people who were literally trying to tear him apart. So Paul had it rough, church. If anybody had it rough, it was the Apostle Paul. And I think if we could see a a portrait painting of Paul during this time in his life, we would see a man who was full of cuts and scars and bruises because he endured, what he had endured for several years was just full of rough and fearful times. Yet in spite of all of this hardship, we don't find Paul cowering in a corner somewhere. And we don't see him immobilized by his fear. He's like the Energizer Bunny. This guy just keeps going and going and going. So how did he do it? How was Paul able to have peace in the midst of all of his suffering? Or, Or I think maybe a better question for us is, how can we do the same thing? How can we have peace in fearful times? Well, I think if we were to ask Paul, he would give us four pieces of advice that I would like to share with you this morning. First, I believe that he would say, in order to have peace in this life, we must first learn to fear God. Now, I think a better term to use here would be to stand in awe. Paul would say we need to live and stand in awe of God. You know, nowadays we use that word awe so flippantly that I think we have forgotten its true meaning. I mean, the word awesome is used today to describe a meal that we like or a vacation destination, while at the same time we sing it in songs of praise over and over again. And we do so often with the attitude of a a cheerleader at a pep rally, you know, our God is an awesome God, go God, go God. But really folks, that misses the meaning by a long shot. Because because awe is is actually a, a form of fear. But when it is attributed to God, it is a good kind of fear. Awe literally means an emotion in which dread, veneration, and wonder are variously mingled. In other words, to be in awe of God is to honor God. It is to respect God. It means to hold his infinite power and wisdom and holiness and all of his other attributes with a combination of amazement and fear. In Hebrews 12:28 it tells us therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire 
There's that word awe again. It cautions us to worship him with reverence and awe. In Romans, Paul reminds us that our everyday life should be an offering to worship to God. In other words, we are to live every day in a fearful, awedness or awesome God in, in awe that prompts us to, to follow and to do his loving commands. This is what Paul was getting at in Ephesians 6, 5, when he told the believers in Ephesus, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. This is the same principle that he was conveying in Philippians 12 to when he wrote this, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, the fact is most of the fears that we experience in life are a direct result of us disobeying God. It is often a result of us doing things that he has told us not to do. And Paul would advise us then to take heed to Proverbs 3, 7, where it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Why? Well, because it goes on in Proverbs 14, 27 to say, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. I mean, we set ourselves up for fear whenever we ignore God's laws and whenever we live the way that we want to live while foolishly thinking that we know more than God does or not caring at all about what God thinks. And please remember, there is no more terrifying place to be in life than outside of God's loving will. You ever been there? It's no fun. Now, at this point, I think it's important to say that it's foolish for us to go through life afraid of nothing. I mean, there are such things as good and constructive fear. For example, it's good to be a little anxious about driving on ice-slicked roads because that fear might end up keeping you out of a ditch. It's also good to have a little fear driving in large cities like Los Angeles because reverence for the dangers of driving on those streets and those highways keep us attentive, keeps us on our toes when we're behind the wheel, which helps us to avoid accidents and cause damage to us or hurt to other people. It's okay to fret about a huge presentation that you need to make it work because that kind of fear motivates you to do it the best you can do it. I think it's good to worry about how your kids are gonna turn out to a degree because that, that fear will compel you to wanna be a better parent. So we should embrace good fear and Paul would remind us that the best kind of fear to embrace is a healthy fear of God. You remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 28. He said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus was reminding us that it is right to fear God and wrong to fear man as long as we are living for God. I guess you could sum all of this up by saying the, the one thing that will most easily stabilize and calm us in this life is to fear the right thing. And the right thing 
To fear is the Lord's opinion, the Lord's leading, the Lord's honor, the Lord's judgment. All other fears must fall behind that. Paul understood this and he lived his life by what Psalm 56, 11 says, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me anyway? I added the anyway, I'm sorry. Paul would remind us that God is all powerful, that God is all wise, that God is completely sovereign, and most of all, he is Lord of all. And we, ne we need not fear anything that this world throws at us. The only thing we should fear is disobeying God. To have peace in this life, we must learn this simple lesson and speak it often. Don't fear God and fear everything else. Fear God and nothing else. And the second thing Paul would advise us to do when we face fearful times is to tell it to God. Let your awe of God, let your respect of God remind you that he is in charge of the entire universe. And it's okay to bring him your cares. It's okay to bring him your worries. Remember, the Bible tells us that our awesome God loves you. Do you recall the guidance that Paul gave the church in Philippi in Philippians 4, 6, and 7? I love this verse. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, I might add, he might add, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul would say when you face the kind of fear that overwhelms you and immobilizes you and steals your joy and peace, then be like a scared child running to its loving parent. You go to God and you honestly tell him about it. Think about it. When you have shared a deep, a deep fear with a trusted friend, when it was received lovingly, how did you feel afterwards? You felt good about it. it. It deepened the intimacy between the two of you because you were being honest. You were taking off the mask and you were telling it as it is. And the one way to get the kind of fearless faith that the Apostle Paul had is by refusing to pretend. It's by admitting to God that we are terrified and that we are not sure that we have the faith necessary for the struggle or the battle that's ahead of us. It's in times like these is when we need to go to God and we've got, we need to say, I can't handle this on my own. So please help me, Father. We must realize that God isn't mad at us when we get scared. Far from it. In fact, not only can he handle the truth, not only can he handle our fears, he also encourages us to bring them to him. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 37? He said, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Don't resist God for any reason when you are afraid. Instead, go to him. One of the unwritten traditions, Christmas traditions, at the Blythe household every year is to watch It's a Wonderful Life. How many of you do the same thing? Okay. Well, do you remember the scene when George Bailey is facing terror, the terror of scandal and imprisonment 
due to the $8,000 that was missing from his savings and loan. He is suffering a, a typical panic attack. His heart is racing, he's trembling, he is overwhelmed with fear. And I want you to watch this powerful video clip of intense fear. Merry Christmas! Glad you come! How about some of that good spaghetti? We got everything. about you but I've been there before you probably have been too time in your life you were so afraid you didn't know what to do you didn't know what step to take next on those times in my life I have prayed and I've told God specifically about my fears as if he needs to know because he knows I'm already experiencing them I pour out my heart to him and I ask him for my help, for his help. And you know what God did? He didn't send some angel named Clarence who was trying to earn his wings down to help me. That's Hollywood. He came himself in the form of the precious Holy Spirit. And he came alongside of me and he lifted me up and he helped me. My heavenly father surrounded me with his loving presence. And he calmed my fears and it was almost like he was coming and putting his arm around me and you could almost hear those words, there, there, my son. It's gonna be okay, don't fear. We all can have a peace like that. And you may be thinking, no, you don't understand what I'm dealing with. No, you too can have a peace like that. If we follow Paul's example and, it, and we bring our fears to the Lord, we're really good at talking about our fears to people and people can't do anything for us. We need to go directly to the source of our strength. Psalm 34.4 reveals King, what King David discovered through his own fearful experiences when he wrote this. In fact, we sing a song with the words as the lyrics of this. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. So when you're afraid of something in this fallen world of ours, tell God, tell God about it. Well, then the third thing I think Paul would tell us to do when we face fears is to trust God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. 
On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. I don't know if you caught the progression in that verse or not, but Paul says God has delivered us, God will deliver us, and God will continue to deliver us. You get the picture there? In spite of impending death, Paul trusted God, the God who had delivered him in the past, the God who was going to deliver him now, and the God who was ultimately going to deliver him in the future. In other words, Paul constantly focused on God's ability to handle any circumstance in his life from start to finish. No matter how scary things look to him, he trusted our all-wise, completely faithful, and fully sovereign God. And this trust that he had, this conviction that he had, this mindset is the foundation that enabled him to face fearful times with peace and, yes, even joy. The late psychologist Albert Ellis said that when it comes to analyzing how people respond to fearful experiences, he says it's as easy as ABC. And he developed a model from this theory that I'd like to explain to you as best that I can. I think we have a graph, there we go. The A in his model stands for activating events. This refers to the things that happen to us, our circumstances, whether they be a family crisis or job worries or or whatever it is. The C in his model stands for consequences. This is the way that we feel and respond to our activating events of life, our circumstances. Now, most people believe that our A causes our C, that our activating events or our circumstances cause the consequences. They erroneously believe that it's the problems of life that determine our response. When good happens, we feel good. When bad happens, we crash and burn. But Dr. Ellis would completely disagree with this because the B in his formula stands for our beliefs. These are the beliefs that we hold about the things that happen to us. And his research has shown that it is our beliefs that ultimately determines how we feel and yes, how we respond. So actually, it is our beliefs that that determine the consequences, not our activating events like most people assume. I mean, two people can be in precisely the same set of circumstances. They can have the same activating events, but they have totally different consequences. Different consequences and responses. This because they look at their circumstances through a different belief system. And I couldn't agree more with this. And when I looked at Ellis's theory, I couldn't help but think of many of the saints that I have known who have gone before me, many of who were dying of cancer or degenerative heart failure, or or some other fatal disease or illness, and some, they were just dying of old age. Many had lived for periods of time under a literal death sentence. In the early stages of their organs beginning to shut down, 
with the doctors determining that no further medical action was, that further medical action was actually pointless, these men and women waited, having only days away, some a day away from death, and they knew it. This was their A. This was their activating event. Now the consequences to most people who are given this kind of news by a doctor would be to embrace fear. It would be to embrace great sorrow. But it's amazing, not these saints of God. You see, I visited them. I prayed with them. And in spite of their circumstances, they remained joyful and appreciative for the life that they had lived. None of them were quaking in their boots or dreading physical death. Their sea, their consequence wasn't like that at all. No, they were totally at peace at that moment. Why? Because of their beliefs. It is their belief in Christ Jesus, and I think you know exactly what I mean by that. They trusted God, the God who had promised them that the minute that their bodies ceased to function, they would be in heaven face to face with their Redeemer and their Creator. They also believed in God's promise that one day all of their Christian friends and their spouses and their family members, members would join them there. And those saints, so many who have gone before us, could say, I am not afraid of death. And they could cite those precious words from the Apostle Paul, written in 2 Timothy 1.12, because I have known whom I have believed and have convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Every one of them rightfully stood on the promises of God, that God had promised them not death, but eternal life. And their consequences are so different from others because their beliefs, their trust in God provides them with no fear and instead only peace. Now I think it's important to point out that one, there's one prerequisite for having this belief, this caliber of trust in God when we face these fearful times in life. It is to learn not to always trust appearances. You can't always trust what you see with your physical eyes. I mean, in this fallen world of ours, things may look like they're going down the drain, but the Bible tells us to trust God even in spite of appearances because God is still on the throne. He is sovereignly working out his purposes, even with what is going on with the nations today and what's going on in the Middle East. God is sovereignly working out his purposes. We see an example of this principle right here in Acts chapter 22. While Paul is facing a mob that is threatened to attack him, Luke tells us that God used an unnamed town clerk who went to the leaders of this mob and he warned them not to do anything rash. He advised them to calm down. Instead of rioting, bring charges against Paul in court. 
Well, miraculously, they followed the wisdom of his words and they obeyed. They dispersed and they returned to their homes and they did what this lowly town clerk asked them to do. Now, the beautiful part about this story is he didn't know Paul and Paul didn't know him. And yet God used this unknown clerk to quiet the multitude. Well, one thing that we must remember is that no matter how bleak things may look, God is still moving clerks all over his chessboard like pawns. We don't see the chessboard. We can't see the chessboard. We don't know the right moves because we're not God. But God does. He knows the right moves. And he is constantly doing them behind the scenes and we can't even see it. So don't always trust appearances and know in your heart that God is still on the throne and that God is always at work. And remember, fear always makes things look worse than they really are. This reminds me of a true story I came across about a woman in Arkansas. She was sitting in her car in a grocery grocery store parking lot. I'm sorry, this is a funny story and I can hardly tell it without laughing. She's on a hot summer day sitting in her car. Suddenly she hears a loud bang. She felt a sharp pain in the back of her head. When she grabbed the back of her head, she felt warm, soft tissue oozing between her fingers. This poor woman began to scream and cry, and when someone ran up to help, she said, I've been shot in the head, and I'm holding my brains in. Upon further investigation, the bystander discovered it wasn't her brains, it was biscuit dough. (laughs) One of those Pillsbury biscuit canisters in her grocery bag exploded in the heat of the car. It made a lot of explosion. It shot this dough so hard at her head, she thought she had been shot. Goes to show you that sometimes our fears are equally as unjustified as this story of this woman. Because fear has a way of making things look far bigger and far worse than they really are. As someone said, worries always make big shadows out of little things. And many times we give in to fear because it looks like evil is winning. And sometimes we secretly wonder where God has gone when we find out that he hasn't gone anywhere. He is still working behind the scenes, just like he did for Paul in Ephesus, accomplishing his eternal purposes. And by the way, his purposes are always for our good and for his glory. And I realize sometimes when we're going through them, it doesn't feel like it is for our good. But you look at it a couple years later and you know it was for your good because you grew during that time. We must remember to not always trust appearances, church, because no matter how bad it may look, our present circumstances is not all there is to reality. This fallen world does not have the last word. God does. And it is a word of hope. And it is a word of peace. And it is a word of victory to those who love him and who are walking in his will. So Paul would say to us, don't always trust appearances. Instead, always trust God. Well, the one final thing Paul would advise us to do in fearful times is to 
obey God. Here's where the rubber hits the road. Here's where we often derail ourselves. No matter how afraid initially it might be, you obey God. Whatever God tells you to do, you do it. You know what the single most common command in the Bible is? It's not, to, to, it's not a command to guard sexual purity or walk with integrity or to embrace humility. As important as those things are, the single most common command in the Bible is fear not. And the reason this is given so frequently is twofold. First, because God knows we are susceptible to fear. We are human beings who are led by our emotions. But secondly, get this, as Christians, the thing we fear the most is often doing the things that God tells us to do. God issues a challenge. We immediately experience fear and we come to a decision point. And we all have to decide at that point, am I going to obey or not? It's scary to obey sometimes because God has a way of asking us to do things that are beyond our ability. So God has said these words over and over again for thousands of years, and he says it not just so we won't be afraid, but to also encourage us to obey him. Because when we obey God, in spite of our fears, we see him do amazing things in and through us. We experience unbelievable adventure and joy. And we see this here in Acts. In Acts 17, 8, I read that scripture earlier where God told Paul, do not be afraid. He said, keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Well, Paul was mature enough to follow that command, to do just that. In spite of his discouragement and his fear, he continued to obey God. And look what happened in Acts 19, 11. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Later on, God used Paul's teaching to convict people involved in the occult to repent and follow Jesus. They even brought their scrolls of sorcery for them to burn. In Acts 19, 19, it says this, that they calculated the values of the scrolls and it came to 50,000 drachma. In today's equivalent of that, folks, is $5 million. That's what these scrolls were worth. Listen, let me tell you something. If somebody is willing to walk away from a potential $5 million windfall by selling something and they choose to obey God and destroy it, burn it in a fire and, and obey him instead, that is a genuine conversion experience. There is nothing more pure than that. These people walked away from being wealthy because they had been saved and they had been delivered from the bondage of the occult on their life. That is the power of God at work completely transforming lives and changing people literally from the inside out. And through all this, Acts 19.20 sums it up by saying, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. All because Paul ignored his fears and he obeyed God. 
Scott, will you guys come forward? I'd like to ask everyone to stand to your feet if you would. High point, I just want to say to you this morning that if he hasn't already, God is one day going to call you to do something that's going to scare you to death. Anybody ever been there? And when this happens, some of you will choose to ignore it. He's come to you before, you've ignored him before, and he'll come to you again, and you'll ignore him again. While others will consider it, but they won't act because fear will take over and they won't trust in God and they won't be obedient to what God called them to do. But for those who trust in God and act in faith, you're going to experience something incredible. You'll see amazing and yes, even miraculous things that will come out of your obedience and you will stand back and it will be a natural awe of God because of what he's done. Maybe this morning you are afraid to share your faith with a coworker. Maybe you have been called to help someone and the problem seems beyond your ability and it literally frightens you what you might be getting yourself into. Maybe God has been dealing with you and convincing you it's time for you to start to tithe on your income to support the work of the Lord. Maybe God has called you to join this church. Well, God says the same thing to you and me that he did to Joshua when he faced the terrifying prospect of leading the Hebrew nation. This is what he said to Joshua in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So don't be afraid, church. Obey God. Trust in God. And I think now is an important time for me to ask, since we covered Dr. Ellis's ABC chart, regarding fearful experiences, how is the bee in your life? How are your beliefs? What are your beliefs? What are they based upon? Do you have a personal relationship with God through what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross? Well, this morning I wanna open this altar and give everyone in this place an opportunity to respond to this message today because I know that God is speaking to you in a hundred different ways. Every one of you has something on your mind right now that you, has, has brought fear into your life and you don't like it and you wanna be free of this fear. It, it, we, we wouldn't even have time to talk about all of them if we just took, if I could get, read the blips above your head, we'd be here all day. So please don't act like this sermon wasn't for you because if it's come into your mind, the Holy Spirit has brought it into your mind. Do you have the kind of belief that enables you to face life in peace and rise above your fears? If not, then you need to come to the Lord and you need to confess that to him. Maybe you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, now's the time to do that. I realize that an aisle in the church is one of the most fearful places in the world. Do you know that? How many times have you sat there, wanted to come to this aisle, but you didn't because you were frightened? 
What were you frightened of? What people would think of you. That's it in a nutshell. It's not because you don't think you can make it. It's not because there's a slope on the floor. It's not because my knees hurt when I kneel at this altar. It's because you're afraid. You're afraid of what Joe Schmo over here in the corner thinks about you because you're a board member and you're supposed to be spiritually superior, so you don't need this. That's, that's, that's a lie from hell. You need this. And I'm not picking on my board members. I just use that as an example. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher. Maybe you lead a ministry in this church. Maybe you're a leader by nature. You need time with God at the altar just like anybody else. And if you've, if you've bought into the lie that you don't, you're messed up. This is not a sign of weakness here. This is a sign of strength. And when you see people down here, they're recharging their batteries and you're gonna walk out depleted because you've never reached out to God. The moment you come down here and receive salvation, your life will be changed forever. And the moment that you come down here with a fear, with a problem, and you take it to the Lord, you can walk out of here with a weight being lifted off of your shoulders. Like I said, there's something you're dealing with. There's fear involved. So maybe you need to come down here and talk to the Lord about it. Maybe very appropriately, you have fear in your heart today about what's going on in our nation and in our world, and especially what happened to Israel yesterday and the things that are going to be happening moving forward. And believe me, when I tell you I can understand why you might feel that way, nobody likes war, we all like peace, we all like to have calm, but if there's anything we've learned in the history of mankind, there's always conflict and there's always going to be wars and we are going to have to deal with them and it may affect our nation and it may affect our economy. A lot of things can come out of this. We may get, in, we may get brought into a battle for all we know, probably highly likely, but we can't be fearful about that because we know who we serve and we know what he has promised and we have life eternal life. If God snuffs us out for whatever reason, for a nuclear war, whatever, we're going to wake up in God's presence. And I'm not saying there's not fear from wondering about that situation, but you can't be engulfed in that fear. You got to know, you got to look beyond the situation and know where we're going to end up. We got to know what God has promised us. So we look at these things that are going on in the world and I've talked to many of you and you're scared and you're nervous and, and you're worried and, and you've, kind of, you've kind of pulled into yourself and you're holding all this stuff in and you're not even doing what you're supposed to do as a Christian and that's go out and reach the lost who don't even have half the peace that you have and you're a basket case over what's going on in the world. You're, you're, and you, you just have kind of checked out and you're just kind of existing going, oh, Jesus, when are you going to come? I'm ready. Praise Jesus. But this whole thing, this whole book of Acts has been about those who don't know Jesus. Have you got the, have you got the gist of this? This is showing us that these people gave their lives and were beaten and, and abused and, 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 and stoned and, 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 and for, to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And the worst thing you're gonna get in this world is get away from me, you Jesus freak. Oh wow, that hurt. I think I'm gonna be ruined for life over that. 
As the worship team sings, we're going to have this altar open. Come down and spend some time in prayer, and then I'll come up and close the service in prayer. If you can't come to the altar, then sit at your seat and pray for those who are up here or pray for your own fears from your seat. But don't leave here without laying at the foot of the cross. It's not mine. 
as long as they'd like. I'd like to close this service in prayer if you'd bow your heads with me. Precious Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction that comes. We thank you for the many experiences we have to read and draw upon where you've proved your faithfulness to those who went before us. And God, you are proving your faithfulness to us day in and day out. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that this body of believers would become such a trusting group, God, that there would be nothing we wouldn't trust you in. We trust you in all things because, God, we know you have our best interest in mind and you will never let us down. And if we pray according to your will, God, you take care of us. You always do. Pray that this would be a congregation that always obeys what you have asked of us, Lord. Just not just what you ask of us, but just things in your scriptures that you tell us to live by, that that would be a part of our life. We would be in a lot less fearful situations, Lord, if we obeyed your commands. And I pray that we would become a people who do that day in and day out. And Lord, as it applies to this series on Acts and the building of the New Testament church, I pray that you would help us to fight against our fears it would prevent us from doing the things that you've called us to do. It would not get in the way from us doing your will in our lives. God, my prayer is that every person in this place would experience the joy that comes from being used by you by stepping out in faith and doing something that we feel is beyond our ability and yet it is accomplished through you in us. Let everyone experience that, God, because once they do, they will continue to live in your abundance. And I thank you for that. And Father, I just pray as we go our separate ways today that your Holy Spirit would go with us, guiding and directing our steps, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have. Father, that those conversations would be conversations that build people up and not tear them down. I pray that we would shine like bright lights in a very, very dark world, so much so that people would recognize the love of Christ, 
seeping out of us and would want to know what is different about us and that you would open doors for us to share our faith with them and your goodness with them. And Father, I also pray that between now and next week that you would keep us safe from sickness, from disease, keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us until we gather together again as a church family and come to worship you in spirit and in truth. Once again, Father, I pray for Israel. I pray your protection over them and your wisdom to, to be sought out in all matters. And be with us, Lord, as we go today, that we would go in the love of Christ. And I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here.